Bible. And if you didn't get to hear the first message, the first Sunday of this month, please go back and look at it online. Listen to it because it gives you a foundation for the whole series. Now, we've been talking about reading the Bible and studying the Bible, and today we're going to talk about applying the Bible to our lives. Okay, so look at the person next to you and say, applying, okay? Let's say applying. We're going to apply the Bible to our lives. Until you feed yourself from God's word, you'll never grow to spiritual maturity. In Matthew 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, we know how to feed ourselves, don't we, right? Anybody eat in here? Y'all ever eat anything? So I know some of you don't eat. I, just, I know about you, and, and you don't. Others of you are like me. You like to eat, yeah? You eat something? Yeah. I'm so thankful that there's one or two of you like me. I feel so much better now. But you need to grow spiritually, and the only way to do that is to eat and to feed on God's Word, to study it and to learn it and to apply it. So here's what happens. A lot of people depend on secondary sources to grow, okay? What am I talking about? Well, pastors, okay, or sermons or Bible studies or CDs or classes or things online, other things because they don't know how to feed themselves. The Bible is the best-selling book in the world. What do we call this series? I want to thank both of you who knew that. Bestseller is the title of this series, and so we are reading and studying about the bestseller. But most people are biblically illiterate, okay? They don't really understand it. They did a survey of high school students in Newton, Massachusetts, and they asked them questions about the Bible, and here are their true answers, okay? Some of the students thought Sodom and Gomorrah were lovers, okay? They thought that Jesus was baptized by Moses. Hmm. They thought that the Gospels were written by Matthew, Mark, Luther, and John. And they thought the epistles were the wives of the apostles. There you go. That's what they thought. Yes, I know. I, I, I felt the same way when I read about it. A lot of people have the Bible mixed up. They think that God helps those who help themselves as in the Bible. That was really said by Benjamin Franklin. How, did you know that? Anybody know that? Well, see, you've learned something today. You came to church and learned something, right? And so you've got to learn to feed yourself, and you've got to learn to study the Bible and apply it. So this week, I'm going to do something. I'm going to teach you a method of Bible study today, right here in church. So get your outlines out, because you're going to be going through those quickly, and you need to fill them out. Now, if you don't have an outline, you need to get one, because you're going to be lost today, okay? <clears throat> and when you write down things, you may write things beside uh, besides what you uh, are filling in the blank today, but it's something that will help you learn. First, there's the difference between reading the Bible and studying the Bible. What's the difference? You take notes. You take notes. That's the difference, see? So write that down. If you don't write things down, it's not Bible study. It's just Bible reading. The shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. You follow me? If you don't write it down, you won't remember. Oh, what was it he said in church? It was really good. I meant to remember that, and I don't have it written down here, and I don't remember what he talked about. Now, second, Bible study is different from Bible reading because in Bible study, you ask questions. Well, that makes me feel good because I'm a firstborn, and I'm curious, and I ask a lot of questions. Just ask my staff. 
Just ask my family. They'll tell you I ask a lot of questions. There's no limit to the number of questions you can ask about a text. The more questions you ask, the more you'll get out of it. And here are the kinds of questions you ask. You ask the six journalistic questions when you want to know something about Scripture. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. Those are the same six questions you ask in Bible study. The devotional method of Bible study is the simplest one. All you need is a Bible and a piece of paper and a pen to jot things down. You don't need any helps with this. You just use the devotional method, and you can do that anywhere. Now, there, I'm going to give you four steps to the devotional method, okay? The first thing you do is pray. Lord, teach me from your word. Help me to understand it. And it's good to memorize scripture. Psalm 119.18 says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Now, Bible study is different from your quiet time. The quiet time is when you read the Bible and you spend time with God, and you do that every day. Bible study, you might just do that once a week. This is more in-depth than just your devotional time, okay? This is study. And by praying, you say, God, open my eyes, and I may see the wonderful things you want me to learn and know. Now, second, you can meditate. You can meditate. What is meditation? Meditation just means seriously thinking about something. How many of you know how to worry? You're gifted in this area. You worry well. How many of you would like to raise your hand and point at someone in proxy who likes to worry because they're in denial about it today? Well, that's right. People like to worry. And, and what you're doing is you're thinking about something over and over and over and over again. That's what meditation is. You just take a passage of Scripture and you go over it again and again. Now, look at the word meditation. If you look it up in the dictionary, it's a synonym with another word. And that word is rumination. Rumination. I asked the 830 service, I said, what is rumination? And the choir, somebody in the choir thought I said illumination. Okay, so I want to make sure you get it. It's rumination, and I'm going to tell you what it is. Rumination is what a cow does when it chews its cud, okay? How many of you are going to brunch right after this? This is something for you to focus on while I talk about it. A cow chews up grass and swallows it. It sits in its stomach in the gastric juices for a while, and then it's just digesting it a bit, and then it burps it back up. Yes, indeedy. That's what we want to talk about in church, and it chews on it a little more with renewed flavor, and then finally it swallows it again. Why? Because it's digesting every ounce of nourishment and nutrition it possibly can. So meditation is simply thought digestion doesn't mean that you're not thinking at all. It means that you're the exact opposite. It means that you're seriously thinking. You're contemplating. You're, you're reflecting on what you've read. What does this mean? Now, the Bible says in 2 Timothy, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. And so you want to reflect on it. You want to meditate. You want to say, God, illuminate this to me here. And there's six ways to meditate on a passage of Scripture. So this is the sub-points for meditate, okay? First is to picture it. You visualize the scene in your mind. If you're reading about Jesus and the woman at the well, then you think, what would it be like to be at the well? What would it be like to be with Jesus? What would it be like to talk to Jesus? What would it be like for him to talk to me? And you picture it in your mind, and that's the way you see it. For some of you, this is going to be your favorite method of meditation because you are visual 
thinkers. How many of you are visual thinkers? Do you know? Do you know if you're visual thinkers? Yeah. My wife is an auditory learner. I'm a visual thinker. I think in in terms of seeing it. Think about what it looked like when Jesus fed the 5,000. Think about what it looked like when Peter walked on the water. Think about Jesus at the Sea of Galilee when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. When you go to Israel, uh, one time they took us up, and we, I went a couple of times, they took us up to the north end of the Sea of Galilee, and it's up on little, there's rolling hills, and, and the north end is, is kind of up higher than the rest of it. And they took us up there, and they took us away from all the, the uh, development, and they were just on the hillside there, and then they, they read the Scripture. And you could just imagine Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount there. And you could picture it in your mind. Now, second way that you do is you pronounce it. This works well when you don't have a, a picture. You don't have a story in Scripture. You're just looking at a spiritual truth. You know how you just read spiritual truth, and it might just be a sentence. And so the spiritual truth, you say it out loud multiple times to, to emphasize a different word. For instance, you can use the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you're going to meditate on that verse, you emphasize a different word. So here's what I'm saying to you. You would say, I can do all things, right? Or the next one, you could say, I can do all things. Or I can do all things. Or I can do all things. Each time you emphasize a different word, it has a different meaning. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When I was in high school, we would go to football camp and we would spend a month there one week. (laughs) If you've ever been to football camp, you know what that means because you practice four times a day, right? And so there we were at football camp and if we'd known how to get home, we would have hitchhiked or walked or something, but we didn't know where we were. So we were just captives. Yeah. And so what we learned is that, that uh, it was, you had to get through the week. And, and one day was like a week, okay? So anyway, we did that. And I would, I would say that verse every morning. They would get us up, and we'd have to take the steps and go down. And we'd go outside, and we'd do all these drills. And then we'd run this great big lap around three football fields. And I would be saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I did. I did do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, by saying it aloud and putting emphasis on different words, we're going to see how it makes that verse have a little more depth. For instance, John 14, 6 says, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say teaching is the way. He didn't say that the church is the way. He said, I am the way. And Jesus said, I am the way the way. He didn't say, I might be the way, or I hope to be the way, or I'm guessing I'm the way. He said, I am the way. And Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I'm a good way, or one way, or the best way. Jesus said, I am the way. So see how you pronounce those words differently, and it brings a different meaning to you? Now, the third thing is to paraphrase it, to paraphrase it. How many of you are philosophy majors? I know we've just got reams and reams of them in, in here, right? 
When I was in college, I was a religion and philosophy major. When I got to graduate school in seminary, I studied theology too, and I had buddies that studied that. But when we got to philosophy, my buddies were scratching their heads because they didn't take a lot of philosophy in college. And they were going, I don't get it. It's some people do good in algebra. Some people do good in geometry. It's that kind of difference, okay? And so philosophy was just really throwing them for a loop. And I was just saying, well, you morons, it's so simple. Let me explain it to you, right? Because I've got that gift of compassion. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, uh, I would paraphrase it. Now, when I have to write a blue book out, I'm not saying exactly what the professor or the book says to me. I'm processing it, and I'm paraphrasing it in my own words, and I'm writing it down in the blue book. And when I'm in a philosophy class and I do that, I get an A. In fact, I took a class with Bill Small's sister. I didn't know that it was Bill Small's sister, but I was at Huntington College in Montgomery. And she sat on the front row, and she was a Breck girl. Some of you may remember the Breck girls. Anybody remember that? You got to be old like me to remember the Breck girls, okay? And she sat up there, and when he gave the grades back to everybody in the class, he said, we've only got two A's. And I said, well, I don't have to worry about that. I won't be in that category. And so he, the first one that had the highest grade was Sarah Small. And everybody went, big surprise, Sarah Small. <laughs> Front row, you know, she's so smart and so mature, unlike her brother. I mean, I didn't say that out loud, did I? <laughs> just a joke, just a little humor. I don't mean it. Okay, so anyway, she's really smart. She did really well in there. And then they said the only other A, Joe Lay. <laughs> And I couldn't cheat. It was a blue book, okay? And so I, but, but paraphrasing. Now, my wife is an auditory learner. She learns it word for word. Whatever you say to her, she has it exactly as she learns it. I, I don't do it that way. I, I paraphrase it. And that's really what it is. People who were scholars took the Bible, and they, they came up with the living Bible or the message Bible to paraphrase it in their own words. It just means in your own words. Okay, the fourth thing is to personalize it to personalize it. Put the, your name in the scripture. For example, in John 3.16, you might say, For God so loved Joe that he gave his only begotten son that if Joe would believe in him, Joe would not perish, but Joe would have everlasting life. So it means it's personal now. It's something that means something more to me. I've meditated on that verse by personalizing it. David said that he meditated on the law. What was he talking about? He was talking about the Pentateuch. What's the Pentateuch? We went over this last week. Does anyone remember? Hmm? Hmm? Okay, see, you got to write it down. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. Okay? Well, they are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then he said in Psalms, this is just David's personalization of the law. He said, I love the law and I meditate on it day and night. Why is meditation important? Because it's the only promise of success in Scripture if we meditate on God's Word. In Joshua 1.8 it says, but this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, and then I shall make your way prosperous, and you shall have good success. If you want to be successful in your life or your marriage or your business, the Bible tells you to meditate on Scripture. How do you do that? Well, you picture it, you pronounce it, you paraphrase it, you personalize it, and then another way is probing it. You probe that scripture. Probing it means you ask a lot of questions. See how handy that comes in? If you ask a lot of questions, that's biblical. You ought to be doing that, okay? And it says, so I want to ask, you know, is there any sin 
to confess? Or is there a promise I need to claim? Or is there an attitude I need to change? Or is there a command I need to obey? Or is there an example I need to follow? Is there a prayer that I should pray? Is there an error to avoid? Is there a truth I need to believe? Is there something I need to thank God for? Okay? And then the last thing is you pray it. You pray it. You make it a prayer back to God. So first you ask God for insight, then you meditate on scripture. We talked about different ways to meditate. And now the third thing is application. Now this is the most difficult part of Bible study, personal application, okay? So you, I want you to look at the person next to you and say, application, that's important. You got to apply it, okay? If you don't have anybody next to you, just say it to yourself. Close your eyes and say, application, okay? Because you, I want you to get this. Now listen, everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. Satan does not care if you read the Bible. Satan does not care if you study the Bible. But you know what really ticks him off? If you apply the Bible to your life, that's when he gets really ticked off. So if you want to tick off Satan today, just go ahead and apply the Bible to your life, okay? That's one way you can do it. In fact, Jesus said in John, he said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you think about them. If you ruminate on them, if you do them, do, yeah, you've got to apply them. And in James, it says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. What is application? Application is when I take the truth of God and I apply it to my life in a way that's personal, possible, and provable. First I pray, then I think about it seriously and meditate, then I write down my application, what I'm going to do with it. So if you don't do anything with it, it's a waste. Now listen to what D.L. Moody once said. The Bible was not given to us to increase our knowledge. The Bible was given to us to change our lives. God wants it to make a difference. That's why it's alive, and it can be alive in us. It can change our character. It can change our conduct, and it can change the way we live. People talk about having a living Bible. You and I can be a living Bible. Did you know that? We can actually be a living Bible. How do you write out an application? Well, here are three characteristics. First, it has to be personal. If you're writing out an application for how you're going to follow the Bible and do the Bible, it has to be personal. You can't do it for somebody else. You can only do it for yourself. An application needs to start with the word, I. I am going to do this. And so it's personal. Now, second, it needs to be possible. It needs to be personal, and it needs to be possible. It needs to be something you think you can do. If you make up an application that you can't do, you're just going to be discouraged. For instance, if you read that verse, pray without ceasing, and you say, I want to apply that to my life, while that's a wonderful thing and it's biblical, it's also very challenging to do, and it might be discouraging. Now, third, it needs to be provable. What does that mean? Every application needs a date of when you're going to start, and it needs a deadline of when it's going to happen. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're reading a verse in Ecclesiastes, and it says, All the labor of man is for the mouth, and yet the appetite is never filled. That's talking about eating, right? 
And so you're eating there. And so what could you do? You might say, I'm going to write a personal application of this verse. And, and you might say, I need to lose some weight. Okay? So that's personal. I'm, now, don't say to your neighbor, you need to lose some weight. Okay? Because that will get you in all kinds of trouble. Now, I'm talking about what you're going to apply to your life. I need to lose some weight, right? Does anybody in here want to join me in that category? Anybody want to be honest and tell me? Okay, thanks for the support. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Wonderful. And then you might say, I need to lose 10 pounds, right? Now, that's possible. That's the second thing. It's possible. It's personal and it's possible. And then I need to lose 10 pounds within three months. And so it's provable, right? In three months, when I get on the scale, I can either see the results and I've lost 10 pounds, or I can just lie to myself and say, yeah, I lost it. No, I didn't. Wrong. You know, because, it, you, and we lie to ourselves all the time about that, don't we? I'm going to lose weight, and I've lost weight, and I'm on the scale, and no, you haven't. You haven't lost it. In fact, you've gained weight. There you go, okay? Now, see what you've done. You've taken the Word of God, and you've applied it to your life. How about if you took the verse, do all things without murmuring, or grumbling. What makes you grumble? Traffic. Traffic makes me grumble. Yes, it does. You might think, where am I most prone to grumble? At work? At home? In my small group? Before dinner? In the morning? In traffic? Yeah, wherever it is, you think about it, and you say, Lord, I need your help not to grumble. I'm going to ask another person to hold me accountable with this, and I pray that by the end of the month, I'll be doing a better job with that than I'm doing right now. So you set a date. Now, the fourth and last thing is memorization. The Bible says in Colossians, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And then in Psalm 119, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's why it's important for us to memorize God's word, because we're not always going to have it with us. There are going to be times when we're going to need it, and we've got to know it then at that time. If you're tempted and you want to resist temptation, you need that with you. When Jesus was being tempted, what did he say? He always quoted Scripture. Now, given he is the Son of God, so he's familiar with it, right? But, but see how it benefits? He didn't pull out his pocket Old Testament and say, I know somewhere in here it says, don't tempt the Lord your God. Hang on, Satan. Hang on right here. I'm going to find it. Just give me a few minutes, right? You need to memorize it so you can resist temptation or you can share some word with your friends who needs it or maybe with somebody who's going through a difficult time. You can be there for them in that way. I don't know a habit that will help you grow in your spiritual life more than memorizing the Word of God. Now, I want to give you some homework, okay? We've done this for a month now. We've talked about the Bible. We've studied the Bible. We've read the Bible. And now we're going to apply the Bible, right? Boy, that's an enthusiastic response. I really feel like I'm making a difference in the world. I just want to tell you right now. Okay, here's the two things I want you to do. First... Commit yourself to the authority of God's Word. In other words, that's going to be the authority for my life. I'm not going to go to the world and ask them what my authority is. I'm not going to do what the world says. I'm going to say that what God's Word says to me is my authority for my life, and that's what I'm going to live by. And second, you learn to study the Word of God by praying, by meditating, by applying, by memorizing, and by acting on what it says to do. Because if we don't act on it, 
what difference is it going to make? Okay? So everybody agree to that? And it, remember, if you haven't seen that first message, go back and look at that because it's a foundation for how we got the Bible and how important it is and how much it means to us. Let's pray together. Father, we do just thank you so much for your word and for what it means to us. Lord, help us not only to read it, to study it, to know it, to memorize it, but Lord, help us to apply it to our lives. That's when it really makes a difference. And we ask you for help to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Offering, we want to remind you to take that connection card that's in your bulletin. Be sure to fill it out. You'll have an opportunity to drop it in the basket. And as you drop that in the basket or your tithes and offerings, uh, we invite you to stand with us after you pass the basket and sing the closing song with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would take these gifts that we offer and allow them to be used to make a difference in this world. Bless them, Lord. Let us be a blessing to this world as you have blessed us. And we pray this in Jesus' name.